straight out of Austin, on Texas. Second Thought, it's episode on 303, brought to you by Hookem.com, with your host, Statesman Sports columnist, Cedric Golden, Joined by the Doug Kirk Balls. Day one of the Big Often 12 Media Days is in the books, Doug, and here, here, how excited, on my friend, are you for the 2023 college football season? I'm over the top excited, but it had nothing to do with media days, okay? And and how the Big 12 can cram 14 teams into a day and a half is beyond me when you know, I'll be in Nashville next week for the SEC Media Days, and they got four days for their fourteen teams. So, but uh, that's just you know, I mean, it's all predictable. Everybody's excited to be back. Everybody's working hard. The team's better. We got better chemistry than last year. We're healthy now. We're gonna throw that. more. We're 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 gonna be more balanced. We're gonna. Oh uh, yeah, we, uh, this is more aggressive on the closest knit group that I've ever been a part of. Exactly. And uh, yeah, who's the who's the grill master on this team? That's the biggest question coming out of media <laughs> days. Um, the Longhorns came into last year's media days with zero realistic expectations because they were coming off a a five and seven under Sark mm-hmm. and. No one expected anything from them after the 2021 debacle. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'd go against that. I mean, Quinn Ewers was so ballyhooed as the savior coming he from never played, Doug. State. You don't you, you don't ballyhoo a guy who's never played a college football game. Stop. Oh, we come on. Have you heard of the name Arch Manning? Stop it. Stop you think, it. Uh, if they put Arch Manning in there right now, you, you're going to be battling in and hooing, or are you going to be going, oh, my God, he's not ready? It doesn't matter whether I do. He is battling. That's a writer's word. Okay. Uh, co- co- a coach knows. We we knew that Quinn Ewers, for some reason, was running four string at Ohio State. So it's not like there were three guys that were so much better than Quinn, or, or Quinn just wasn't getting it done yet in Columbus. So when he came here, Duck, I didn't think he was gonna come in here on a on a fire fiery chariot drawn by twenty beautiful Clydesdales. I knew there was gonna be some growth that had to happen. Well, there has to be. I mean, nobody goes straight to college and just you know wows them from day one. But you remember that guy? What was his name? Let me think. Tip of my tongue. Uh, oh yeah, Bijan Robinson. He was here. And we all knew that was going to be his last year. And he was legitimately ballyhooed, to use your word. So, and the defense, we knew they couldn't be any worse than Sark's first year. Remember, they had no pass rush, you know? So, I, I think, what were they picked? Like, were they picked like fourth in the Big 12? Something yes, like exactly. Fourth. Okay. Not a problem this year. They're picked first. Partly because there's been so much drop-off on, in the Big 12. I mean, TCU, I think TCU has three offensive starters back. And you look at the talent, starting with Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston that, you know, are gone from that team that made it all the way to the college football playoff finals. Kendra Miller. Kendra Miller. I mean, just go down the list. Uh, and then you got Oklahoma coming off a six and seven disaster. They'll be better. Yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be better. But – you know, and they got Dylan Gabriel back, and he was hurt. Remember when they got blown out by 
Texas, he barely played. I don't know if he played at all against TCU when they got blown out. So, but but the jury's still out on Brent Venables and in Oklahoma. So they really, it's it's almost by default that Oklahoma's picked. I mean, that excuse me, Texas is picked, but because everybody else has lost so much talent. So it's addition by subtraction. A little bit, and expectations are wild this year. Last year, the Big Twelve. For Texas and Oklahoma. Texas hadn't won since 09. It's been a minute. So it's now or never for them. And I think, you know, it, it goes beyond just bragging rights because if they don't get to the Big 12 championship or win it or even just get there, people are going to, they just ran off and left the Big 12 when they were, weren't even dominant in there. The last six teams in the Big 12 championship, six different schools, and none of them named Texas. Well, you so, know, you said they ran off, and uh, they're running off to the SEC, and uh, we're going to have SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey on uh, in our next segment. Uh, this is the most, to steal a word from you, Doug, Ballyhooed tech uh, Steve Sarkeesian coach team since his uh, final team at USC, which was a number eight preseason national. So mm-hmm. um, the expectations are always there at the University of Texas. But they're going to be even more elevated with the with the number one preseason ranking in the Big Twelve. Here's what Sark had to say about those expectations in this ranking. I expect our team to play aggressive, tough, fast, physical, and smart football every Saturday. Um, if we do that every Saturday, we'll put ourselves in position to be competing for a championship. But that's the challenge that we have week in and week out is to put ourselves in the best position to go do those things. There's a style of play that we believe in and that that there's a level of toughness that's involved. There's a level of physicality that's involved. There's a level of aggression that's involved. There's a speed element involved. There's a football intellect that's involved in all that, um, that we have to recreate starting every Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to get ready for our upcoming opponent. Um, I do think this team has the maturity to do that week in and week out um, because I think they hold each other accountable. And when a guy is not doing that, they're willing to step in and they're not relying on the coaches to do that as much anymore. So, um, you know, ultimately we all, you know, if you ask any one of our players, they want to be here December 2nd competing for a Big 12 championship. That's simple. Uh, but we have to do the necessary things day in and day out to try to make that happen. You know what you're going to get from him, Duck? Oh, you know, nothing's changed. This is, you know. But you know what? One thing that I like about him is he has kind of embraced that this prop, this is his best team. But I will say it's your best team, but you don't have B. John Robinson anymore. That's 2,000 yards of offense that you don't have anymore. And you have a talented backfield. And you have a talented quarterback who had his ups and downs in his first year as a starter. Now, outside of the quarterback gun show we saw that made the rounds on social media, do you think Quinn yours is ready to ascend to the top or near the top of big 12 quarterbacks after that 15 touchdown, nine interception uh, debut in 2022? Well, if he doesn't do it now, it's not going to get done. You know, this is this is the biggest make and break year in ages for a quarterback and a head coach. 
you know, Sarkeesian sitting there 13 and 12, hadn't done anything yet here in Austin. Quinn Ewers, like you said, threw for over 2,000 yards, but had interceptions, had turnover problems, couldn't throw the deep pass. Uh, you know, I wonder, too, how long a leash do you have for Quinn Ewers if he's not getting it done? You're talking we're, you're talking about leashes in July. What happened hey, to the Ballyhoo? Well, Ballyhoo still has to get it done. And then you're under Ballyhoo, you know. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting, too, is that, you know, Malik Murphy's the backup quarterback, right? You better be. agree after his great showing in the spring. Mm-hmm. And I really don't think Arch Manning's going to play at all, uh, if he is very little. But to me, Sark's got to really use Malik and get him some experience, you know, against Rice and Wyoming and teams like that. Although, you know, when he's 13 and 12 and you're picked to win the Big 12, Ooh. you know, and he needs reps for Quinn Ewers. So oh, he, he does because he's not a finished product. This is not 2009. Not. We knew Colt McCoy was yeah. box office, and, right. they, and they failed to get Garrett Gilbert enough reps to have him ready in case Cole got hurt, but – uh, this is different because the starting quarterback still has upside to reach his potential, and any rep you take away from him is a rep that he could be getting better, even mm-hmm. if it's in garbage time, Duck. So that's right. a fine line that Sark's going to have to walk in mm-hmm. in this big, pivotal uh, 2023 season. Well, as you said, he will have to walk that fine line because he doesn't have Hudson Card to rely on and Hudson card, you know, he brought it, you know, he played well enough against Alabama to put him in position to win. He played well enough against Texas tech to put him in winning overtime until on, B. One, foot, on one foot. Oh yeah. And then, you know, he beat who they beat. He beat West Virginia and I guess UTSA. So he played very well in four games and without him, they don't go to the Alamo bowl. You know, I'm not even sure they're bowl eligible. But they don't have that luxury of a, an experienced backup quarterback anymore. So, you know, it's interesting. And, and how much is he going to run the football this year? You mentioned the fact that, you know, Bijan and Roshan are both gone to greener pastures in the NFL. And you got to get some reps for Jonathan Brooks, you know, and Keelan Robinson and CJ Baxter. And, you know, I don't know. It's for, for a team that's picked to win the Big 12, they still have a lot of question marks, don't they? That's why I'm just not all in on them. That's why I'm not thinking ten and two, eleven and one, like, like, like the like the silver fox that's looking across the screen at me. I just don't. I'm just not ready to go there, Duck. I I feel okay at nine and three, but man, there's just so many question marks on defense. There's question marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I'll say is the Quinn yours that we <clears throat> see from spring, where he where he got cleaned up and he's and he was obviously slimmed down to the guy we saw on Wednesday seems mm-hmm. to be a more mature cat and that maturity can go a long ways especially on an offense that's missing a nuclear weapon that mm-hmm. is B. Sean Robinson plenty of weapons Xavier Xavier worthy and and uh, JT Sanders and Jordan Whittington and and uh, Isaiah Nayar, plenty of weaponry AD on the outside. Georgia, yeah, don't forget him. Adonis. Yes, yes. So, 
They had loaded weapons. Mitchell. Mitchell. So you got plenty of weapons. Can Quinn Ewers use that golden arm to to be more accurate? Mm-hmm. And weaponry, you can't win without weaponry. And we asked him about that at the Big 12 media days. Here's what Quinn Ewers said about the weapons at his disposal. That whole room is filled with talent. Um, and it, it's been cool to see, you know, the growth that they've that they've uh, made uh, this past offseason. I mean, uh, I think X has improved tremendously. Um, you know, he's matured a whole lot. He's, he's filled a role that, that we know he can fill. So, Duck, I think I'll know after the second game if it's a 10-win team. I think I will. Wow. I, I will. Because that's the acid test. Oh, yeah. That's the acid test. What you do in Tuscaloosa, first of all, if you can just get to that team bus on on two feet and not get rolled in there on stretcher. I mean, because they're coming after Quinn Ewers in Tuscaloosa. He lit him up. He lit him up in Austin before he got hurt. And so I just hope he gets out of there healthy. I hope he he accounts of himself very well. And even if they lose, Duck, if he – if he shows that he can move the ball in that hostile environment uh, against that Nick Saban coach team, then maybe maybe it's a 10-win team. But until then, Duck, I'm not sure. And it's not to say that they're going to play better people than Alabama because they just aren't. But the question is, can he show a, a move up in maturity and skill level against the elite competition? That's going to be his acid test. Well, it is. And it's hard to know what to make out of Alabama because the perception of Alabama is that, well, they're a little bit down. And you look at it and you go, What does that mean? I mean, what does well, that mean? They're gonna they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna go twelve and oh, they're gonna go eleven and one or that's because exactly. that. they lost two games, both on the road, both on the last play of the game. Now they almost lost A and M. They almost lost to Texas, so that could have been four losses. But it wasn't. They found ways to win, you know, 10 games. So, and and as much as we're talking about Quinn Ewers and that he still has to prove it, Nick Saban doesn't know who his quarterback is. You know, does he go with the Notre Dame transfer who's transferring for a reason because he got beat out by Sam Hartman, the yes. way for transfer? Does he not believe in Jalen Milrow, who, you know, is a hell of an athlete but hadn't played much and almost puckered up against the Aggies, you know, had a lot of turnovers so texas has the edge going in at quarterback Woo. whether whether it plays out that way who knows but this is one of those things too where you know i know they got uh mcclellan back you know gibbs is gone and maybe they don't have all those array of receivers like i think burton's back at receiver but uh you know but they still have all those great recruiting classes and, and nobody develops players better than Nick Saban. So I don't see that as a be all end all for the season, but you sure don't want to roll into Tuscaloosa and get rolled. You don't want to go in there and lose 35 to 10, something like you're that. Done. That could happen done. because then hell the season could be shot. You know, if you get I'm in there, there. Oh. I'm not going there. What, what, what happened if you, if they got rolled 35 to 10, um, they get do it Wyoming after that, I think so, and then I think Baylor. So mm-hmm. they'll be okay at, at Waco. They'll be so. okay. They'll be okay. They're, I thought you said that was goal, a big thing. No, didn't you say no? What? 
Didn't you say we're going to know about this team after Alabama? I still think they can win the Big 12 without going 10 and 2, Doc. They can still get to the Big 12 title game in 9 and 3. One of those losses against Alabama. Yeah, true. That'd be fine. True. But I just don't, I'm just not sold on them 10 and 2, 11 and 1. I'm just well, part of the reason I am is because it's not a strong league. You know, Texas, can we say here right now, Texas no. was it a strong team. league last year, Doug? Was it a strong league last year? I would say no, it wasn't. TCU and they, and they didn't even get to the title game, Doug. I don't know. Which beat John Robinson. What's that? They didn't even get to the title game in a less than strong league, and they had B. John Robinson and Snacks and right. Agent Zero and Anthony Cook and and Deshaun Jameson. But they had a young line. And yes. The, you know, Nayar got hurt. Worthy was hurt more than we knew. They yeah. still didn't have that elite pass rusher. Uh, you know, it wasn't a complete team. No. I think this is a more of a complete team, but I think Bijan will be missed more than we're talking about. Well, he's a super. He was a superstar, so you're going to miss superstars. You don't, you know, replace those overnight. So, but I think they'll be okay. I saw uh, Phil Stills magazine. He last, lists all the teams and as units. And where do you think? Uh, oh, I don't know if he goes forty or fifty. Where do you think Texas running back room would be in the nation? Mm, top ten, twenty-four. So unproven. I understand. Mm-hmm. I know. I we know. feel more than Phil Seals sees them. Yeah. So. But they get their whole offensive line back. That's, so that's, that's, and that's why I would have them as a top 10 unit. And Jonathan Brooks and Keelan Robinson have been on campus here for a while. So they're that's not play. true freshmen like C.J. Baxter. So yeah. I think yeah. C.J. Baxter may be the best of the bunch. I do. He might. He might. What do you think about the Sooners? Well, I don't think Dylan Gabriel's a difference maker. He, he's a good quarterback, and I think their defense, which was horrendous last year, is going to be a whole lot better. I mean, can't be worse. Gave up over a hundred points to TCU in Texas. They they got some defensive talent. Uh, I guess majors there at running back for them. I don't think they have the the depth of highly skilled personnel on offense that they almost always do. You know. Caleb Williams going to USC for one of them. Um, so I don't know. I, th- I think they'll be better, but I mean, hell, they were six and seven. You can't yeah. be much worse than that, can you? Could be five and seven. Yeah. And TCU is going to be interesting. Like I said, three offensive starters back, and, you know, they lose their starting quarterback, receiver, uh, running back, you know, lost some studs on defense. So I think they're going to be really interesting watching. K-State's always good. No Deuce Vaughn this year, but, you know, no Adrian Martinez. But Will Howard's back, and they just always – I think they've got about 13 or 14 starters back and maybe their whole offensive line back. So I think Chris Kleiman's a hell of, hell of a coach. So And then we just don't know. I don't know enough about the four newcomers. Me neither. I really haven't studied them uh, well enough. Houston's coming off a bad year. You know, Cincinnati – you suspect to be bad again, too. Yeah, and maybe a four-win team is for per projections. But, you know, Cincinnati, no more Luke Fickle there. You know, so is their run over. BYU is always solid. Uh, UCF wasn't heard from much last year either. So, I don't know. There, there are going to be a couple of teams just come out of the woodwork and, you know, we go, wow. And Kansas, 
you know, Kansas was the story for the first half of the year. So will that continue or will they drop off? So, Well, before we get to uh, Commissioner Sankey, some news came over from the 40 Acres. Uh, David Pierce apparently going to be the pitching coach slash head coach for the 2024 Texas Longhorns. And Troy Tulowitzki is coming back in the player development role instead of uh, being on the field. What are, what are your thoughts on that? It seems like a lot on, uh, on DP's uh, plate, uh, g- given how, how big a, a baseball team is and how many duties a, a head coach has. He's got to go from plate to the full, full size platter, I think. And I, to me, it's just way too risky. I mean, you know, there's some head coaches that are either, uh, the de facto pitching coach or the real pitching coach. You look at Kurt, Kurt Sarlos at TCU, did a hell of a job and got the Frogs, you know, they were, they were dead in the water until the postseason. Then they make it all the way to uh, Omaha, I think. You know but what, he, but, it did, but it didn't work for Childress at A&M. You know, he tried it. For- yeah, and, you know, Skip Johnson, I think he has a pitching coach at Oklahoma, but he was a pitching coach forever. That's and- his trade. And David Pierce has been both a hitting coach at Rice, a pitching coach at Rice, and then and he was an outfielder. He wasn't a pitcher, so it's just that and just the enormous responsibilities uh, a head coach has. I mean, he coaches in third base box. You know, when you're on offense, you may want your pitching coach talking to you know the pitchers you know in the dugout. Now maybe others can, but it's not the one voice that maybe needs to be heard. He may have to give up that third base coach. You might. You don't know. You don't know. But I think, you know, getting too low back is a a shot in the arm because I think he's got star quality written all over him. But, you know, I like Woody Williams. I didn't think he did a terrible job there. They didn't have a a grade, a plus grade pitching staff. But you look at LBJ, you know, the way he came on in May and June was just nothing short of phenomenal. You know, Tanner Witt you know, couldn't get back from his uh, uh, Tommy John surgery. Uh, but and Zane Morehouse was, he was a shambles. And then he came back and reemerged as, as a reliable closer. So uh, I just think it's kind of more of a gamble, a little too risky uh, for my taste. I think the same thing. I think he's a good coach, Doug, but I, that's a, man, that's a whole lot on his plate. Even the great Augie Garrido delegated. Mm-hmm. Did a really yeah. good job of delegating, and and he always had concentrated a more on the on the more philosophical, motivational right. aspects, and did the technical stuff in practice as well. But we'll see what we'll see what happens. I just, yeah, I just don't have a good feeling about it. Yeah, I'm the same way. So, well, I guess with Big Twelve Media Days and full swing, uh, it's football season. I guess vacation's over. I think you got a couple weeks coming up afterward. Yes, I do. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, let's uh, before we go, let's. Uh, oh yeah, let's let's just turn it over to our our conversation with our new friend of the podcast, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. On second thought, for joining us is a what do you call it? Another big fish. In a, in a big ocean of big fish we've had on the podcast, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey joining us. We appreciate it. SEC Media Days take place starting July 17th, a four-day extravaganza in Nashville. 
Kirk Bowles is driving. You are so stupid to be driving, but whatever you want to do uh, with those <laughs> gas prices. Greg, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Um, Kirk's uh, persistence has paid off. He's been after me for two years to do this. So here we are today, finally. And Ed, where are you down? <laughs> he was the nerdy guy in high school who always asked out the pretty girl. And she always said no, but then he still ended up marrying a beauty queen. So it always seems to work out for him, but good good for him. But I got to ask you this, Greg. Uh, Laterno University, really? That was my old stomping grounds. I'm from East Texas. Um, yeah. Why did you leave? I'm very disappointed in you, Greg. Thank you. Why did you leave? Well, yeah, it had nothing to do with Longview or, or really the, the university. It, it, I was there. Uh, my dad's a, a welder and wanted his son to be an engineer and a great school to be an engineer. But if you want to be something else in life, maybe not the place for you. And uh, I spent a year and a half there and it allowed me to kind of think through what it was I, I wanted to move towards from a career standpoint. And at that time, I could see engineering as circuitry and and plugs and things like that. And that just didn't didn't resonate with me as a person. So. Uh, what, what's interesting is the number of times I've been back through, you know, when I was the Southland commissioner and I was driving to any of the Northern Louisiana schools or even over towards Stephen F. Austin, um, I would go through Longview, stop many a time at Bodacious Barbecue, which was oh, the ribs, right, the ribs. is right across the street from yes. Laterno's campus. Oh, and, yeah. uh, sometimes I'd just drive around and, and remember, you know, kind of, early eighties decision-making and it, it, what it did though, for me, that choice opened up a whole new world. I grew up in central New York, the Finger Lakes region and had this, uh, this um, right out of high school adventure in East Texas and in a really good way. Nice. And you were obviously a sports star, right? In your prime. No, no I was uh, as a member of the baseball team, but I don't think anybody, would have described me as a sports star. In fact, I think Pat Forty was on Twitter um, after LSU beat Wake Forest. We had two SEC teams in the College World Series, and he said we're seeing the sanctification of college baseball. And my response, I didn't see that tweet for a couple of days. And like nobody on my college baseball team ever would have seen <laughs> that kind of description being applied to me <laughs> in college baseball. Forty. <laughs> It's the SEC world. I mean, you mentioned the College World Series, LSU whipping up on Florida there in a, a three-game match in Omaha. And and uh, the Director's Cup, you guys got eight schools, you know, in the top 25, uh, seven in the top 19, and that's not counting Texas or Oklahoma. So uh, where would you say the SEC is still kind of ruling college uh, sports athletics, right? Well, it's interesting, particularly when you're in Omaha, you know, people forget you, you didn't have SEC teams really in the College World Series until the late 80s. Um, and then, you know, you saw some great rivalries between Mississippi State, LSU. I think Georgia may have been among the first of our teams to actually play in the College World Series. And then what Skip Bertman did at LSU yeah, just – uh, obviously elevated the level of play in Baton Rouge, but elevated the level of baseball play around the league. And over the last uh, 10 years, certainly, but arguably the last 20, um, the 
the the world has shifted in, in college baseball. And and that's a sign of strength. You think about softball. We didn't even have softball. When I was <laughs> Southland commissioner, I think we had three ranked teams out of the Southland. Um, and the SEC may have had one in the early 90s um, because South Carolina had existed, had a softball program for a long time. And the desire to be successful and to achieve at a high level is inherent in who we are and is is part of the reason for our expansion, which will be part of our conversation, I'm sure, on this podcast. But you see that play out, whether it's the the, the Directors' Cup or whether it's uh, I just saw a chart with a number of times we've had SEC teams play SEC teams in national championship games, which are pretty cool moments. Um, and we want to keep that level of expectation and the level of success as high as can be. Now, I don't know how many national championships this year, but like we said, LSU just beat Florida. Florida won uh, men's track here in Austin, you know, last month. Uh, yep. one, in, one in golf, uh, uh, just kind of been tearing up. Georgia's been a dynasty. Um and we all know about Alabama. So uh, it's it's in pretty good shape, is it not? Yeah. And, and, you know, again, I think what we've seen is programs that set a pace. You think about Pat Summit's teams at Tennessee and women's basketball was complemented by, you know, Joe Champy or, or Van Chancellor or, or Andy Lander's leadership at Auburn, at Ole Miss, at, at uh, Georgia and others. Um, baseball, I mentioned the, the emergence of softball. Uh, track and field, we've always been um, in in great shape, if you will. But it's yeah, it's incredible to be South yeah. South you think basketball. yeah yeah you think about when when we have a track meet for the conference championship in the future mm-hmm. after the additions of Texas Oklahoma or, or swimming and diving. Those are now international caliber uh, meets. Yeah, you mentioned expansion. Um... You know Texas OU coming. That's that's going to be. I know they're they're not going to be wanting to talk about it as much here at the um, at the um, Big Twelve Media Days, but we're going to ask them anyway. Um, sixteen sixteen teams coming. Um, sixteen team league, but I just feel like the the super team super conferences might be coming. I don't know sooner rather than later. What are your feelings on talk that there's going to be maybe four major major conferences? without naming what other conferences may fall to the wayside, how far off do you think that might be? I start from an answer that I've given repeatedly over time, which is I view us as a super conference. I think the the achievements we just discussed um, have distinguished the Southeastern conference and it's an across the board sort of way, but not only across the board from sports, but the ability for, any of our member institutions to compete at a national championship level. And again, baseball is a really good example where we've been on this incredible run of consecutive national championships, all captured by different teams. Um, And and you look at last year's college world series, we had four of our current members in plus Texas and Oklahoma. It's an indication of um, the, the excellence I mentioned in, as I define the word super and combine it with conference, I think that's an indication. You're really asking about numbers and growth. In other words, will there be conferences that move beyond 16? I think you have to look strategically at that decision in a different way. And, And so I listen to a variety of observations, like you have to be a national conference. And some will define that by, 
geographic location of member universities, I define that as an interest level. Um, and I can watch on the SEC network, the Paul Feinbaum show every day and watch people call in to talk about the Southeastern Conference from you know, pretty much every state in the union over a few weeks time or uh, actually literally across the globe. Um, so I, I don't think the pressure for us to, to reach that like national label is quite the same because I think we've achieved it on our own. Then you get to numbers. And if you're going to have a 20 or 24 member conference, you're going to be thinking very differently about how you present yourself than we have over the last three or four decades. And what I mean by that is we've tried to move in a direction where all of our football games, for example, are nationally available. You know, even the NFL doesn't do that. So those games on Sunday afternoons are often regionalized and it's not a national audience. But if you watch our football games on a Saturday, we have a national reach through whatever broadcast platform is used. If you go to 20, you know, you're now in an environment where you're playing games against yourself within one stadium, but then there's another stadium that's actually competing for the same sets of eyeballs. And, and so on the one hand, it's easy to talk about, well, it's all going to go this direction. It, it actually has to be workable. And what I'm starting to describe are some of the mechanics that suggest that people have to take a step back before they just uh, jump to some number to get to a number. Um, and we haven't had discussions about some number. In fact, I've been very intentional to say we had opportunities that could be envisioned with the additions of Oklahoma and Texas. We took those opportunities because of philosophical alignment, the geographical location works. We added a 95 mile point of differentiation to our longest trips. And our longest trip will be shorter than the LA school shortest trips in the big, big, big 10. So uh, a, a lot of things I think have to be thought about, but um, you know, do, do I think somebody will try to make that move? You know, it, history indicates it's likely, but I'll end with this. We had really big conferences at one time. That's part of the, the forgetfulness. If you look at the Southern conference a hundred years ago or the ECAC, um, you had conferences of 20 and 30, and they just didn't work because there wasn't enough, I think, consistency, enough camaraderie, enough collaboration. And so we need to be careful before we just jump to that that label or to some number. And is that healthy for college athletics if, say, the SEC went to 20 or even beyond and the Big Ten followed suit? Is that going to be healthy because it diminishes all the other – uh, of the 133 FBS programs, Greg? Well, I don't know if it diminishes them. Um, so you asked Kirk a hypothetical. So I'm not just going to jump to the fact that we would do this or somebody else would. It's not been a focus for us. I'm, I'm highly aware and I, I keep our leadership aware of what's happening around us. Um, we also think uh, in our office about how we're going to make future decisions. We can go back to what did happen. And plenty of people commented uh, in different regions and different conferences in the summer of 21 after our announced expansion. And, and lo and behold, some of those who were those sources of commentary were part of decisions either previously to expand potentially to 16 or did expand to 16. So um, when we talk about what's good, I think the Southeastern Conference is good for college. And let's start football, basketball, baseball, softball, track and field. People want to watch what we do. Look at the ratings out of the college baseball 
uh, experience. Look at the women's basketball final four ratings. Those were half of our teams. And I recognize mm-hmm. that there were two other teams in there, but, but I think that that communicates that, yeah, we're, we're good for college sports as a league. Uh, I'd even go back to when Georgia and Alabama met the first time against each other. There was this prediction of some low level regular season rating yet. Um, you had an incredibly compelling game with an outstanding TV rating relative to the universe that exists. And uh, that doesn't mean just expanding is great for college sports. I'm not the one talking about expanding beyond 16. Those who, who are would, would, would need to share um, whether they think that's good and, and why for college sports. Well, let's talk about uh, the expansion that you did have, Texas and Oklahoma, how much value does that add to the conference? And I think we saw the level of excitement in the schedule reveal just uh, last month. Well, you start with that. So we, we leave Destin with a focus on playing eight games and plenty of noise in the system about, wow, they're only playing eight games. Then when you look at the schedules and what's included in those eight games, I think all of that noise just, just went away. Now, we're going to have a question about the future and do we play eight or nine games. But um, that announcement in early June really drew a lot of attention to our football in, in a natural way. And, and I think that's the value that, that's, that's created, the, the level of interest, the, the gathering of, of 16 unique campuses, big brands, a lot of attention across the board in all of our sports. You know, the, the expansion act itself wasn't focused around money. We, we, when, you, when you make really good decisions, the money will follow. And if all you do is chase almighty dollar, uh, you don't always make really good decisions. And so I think on, on the, the part of Oklahoma and Texas and on the part of the Southeastern Conference, um, this was about the ability to do something really special with a group of universities. Um, it's the one expansion in recent history that actually restores rivalries. Um, and obviously one within the state of Texas, but the Arkansas, Texas legends. I've heard those stories now for two plus decades. And I went to my first Arkansas, Texas game in 2004 in Fayetteville, Arkansas, still have the game program at home um, from that competition. And the night before was at some events where you just heard story after story after story from the Arkansas side uh, about some of those legendary games. You know, Oklahoma and Missouri will have a quarter of the old Big Eight conference in the right. SEC. 30, 30 years ago, people wouldn't have imagined that. We'll have a third of the old Southwest Conference. And so that's, I think, the, the reality of change that made sense in the early 90s with Arkansas, South Carolina, made mm-hmm. sense again uh, a little over 10 years ago with Texas A&M and Missouri, and it made sense with the announcement in 21 and the entry in 24 with Oklahoma and Texas. Well, to make a, a boss move like uh, Texas and OU did coming to the SEC, um, you can't do it without good leadership. Uh, Chris Del Conte and Joe Castiglione are uh, two of the fa- our favorite guys to deal with in the business. Uh, what about their leadership uh, characteristics and uh, what they've done at those respective institutions made them an ideal choice uh, to um, elevate your conference? For for both athletics directors and, and both university presidents, I would begin with um, very respectful. Um, and I think respectful of um, the realities around change and, and the difficulties and uh, the turmoil that can be caused, but also respectful of the Southeastern Conference and our need to, to consider carefully a direction, um, knowing that there are agreements and entanglements that existed from 
uh, back after AM and Missouri left the Big 12 and others had left around contractual ties to media. Um, and so that, that to me was, was the first. And then that philosophical alignment to sponsor uh, nationally competitive athletic programs across the board um, is consistent with our own expectations. Um, the ability and the desire to build relationships uh, and rebuild relationships. Um, all of those were inherent. Um, I think, uh, in fact, no, I don't think I know from late July 21 to late August of 21. So only three or four weeks later, we had an athletics directors meeting. Joe and Chris zoomed in uh, for a conversation about scheduling. And then they joined us in early 22 at a meeting. And, and really their presence because of the relationships they both built uh, were very natural. Um, this year in Destin, we added the two presidents to our room for the first time. And again, their interest in contributing, their respect for, hey, there are 14 people who have been around this table talking about these issues from the SEC perspective for a long time. It provided a learning opportunity, but also um, the, the opportunities for contributions as well. We mentioned the schedule reveal in mid-June, and you mentioned restoring rivalries. Uh, we're still sitting at eight conference games. You said that y'all would probably decide whether to go to uh, nine or stick at eight with, before you go to Destin next spring. So uh, do you think that will be this summer? And do you sense a, it's a, very likely that you'll end up with nine game conference schedules? Are you, are you guys running like the prediction columns I used to see when I traveled through Austin back in the day? Is it like every sports member of the sports department gets to predict, are they going to go to oh, eight yeah. or nine? Yeah, exactly. um, I did. So let me go back to the COVID summer. Okay. And we're in, we're recording this in uh, early July. So that COVID summer, I had set a timeline out, which was really helpful in decision-making. So I'm glad I did it, but I was a little off and, and I would be asked about like, when are you going to make this decision? And so I, I set a date that we needed to make a decision about go or no go in football. And I was mm -hmm. a week off. And, and so oh. as I, as I went through this time three years ago, I would be on interviews and I'd be equivocating a little bit. And it's like, like, you're going to have to make up your mind at some point. And the best thing we did was take our time. So yes, Kirk, to hold me accountable <laughs> before Destin next year is exactly what I did say, just because we need to know. It's particularly important if you're going to nine games because you have non-conference games to schedule. And you'll recall in hey. one of my informative and entertaining press conferences in Destin that, that you attended, um, I shared the respect for others. And I think we have a leadership responsibility. We don't just walk away from games, if you will, carelessly. We have to manage our way um, through those agreements. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that we'll, we'll seek to have a decision before our spring meeting next year. The R's are going to reserve the right to, mm -hmm. to let it play out because you never know what might happen in the world around you. Is um, it more likely to go to nine, though, now? I know people are – No, I, you know – uh, look at the reaction to the eight game schedule. There was this wow moment. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a really good example. We'll go back to the question about Chris. Um, we were talking about travel patterns. And, and one of the stories I told when Kentucky played at AM for the first time, I think it was in 2018, there were like 10 or 12,000 fans to College Station for the football game. And I had to be clear that wasn't the basketball team, that was the passion <laughs> around the SEC. 
Well, lo and behold, this year, Kentucky is announced as playing in Austin next year in, in 2024. Yes. I reminded Chris of, of the level of interest, the, the passion um, that exists. And so whether it's eight or nine games, I know we're going to have a lot of interest. Uh, uh, I have been careful. Uh, I, I tend to think when you add what we've added, the more frequency that you can have to see each other, uh, the healthier it is. And, and we can't maintain um, some of the, the, the rivalry games that are really special around this region. And I mean that outside the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the number of games we have across the board, Georgia, Auburn, Georgia, Florida, uh, Auburn and Alabama and Alabama and Tennessee. Um, you know, those things are, are going to need to be considered specifically as we make a decision. Um, and that is one of the factors that moves us um, towards a, a decision. But there's postseason. There's the college football playoff changing. Um, there's where do you place games? When do you play? There are all kinds of things. The onboarding, the non-conference scheduling piece. Um, that are still part of our conversation. And, and I think it's been a really healthy conversation. Um, we ought to take time to make big decisions, and, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. We know you're the the, the best football conference in the country. Uh, college baseball speaks for itself. Um, and great, great college basketball, particularly the women. Where can the SEC get better? And I know that's a loaded question, but – uh, I know as a, as a commissioner, you're always having to be forward thinking and we're going to get better. Yeah. Well, I've asked a couple of our coaches groups. I'm like, where, where do we need more to think about more of an edge? Where can we help from the conference office and prove our standing to compete for national championships? Um, you know, one of the, one of the most rewarding experiences of my tenure as commissioner, whether it's, I'm in year nine now, whether they get tired of me this year, we go 10 more was Kentucky's national championship in women's volleyball. And it it was against Texas. So I I apologize to those in Austin listening to me, but our league had never before won a national championship in women's volleyball. So there aren't a lot of firsts that I can do given our, our long history as a league of success. That was one of the first, but it was also in the COVID year. So it was April of 21 and, and volleyball was, was a sport that had a lot of questions around it because it was going indoors. Um, how do we continue to, that we're not waiting another 90 years for us to capture a women's volleyball national championship. You know, when we add Texas, that will help set the standard that Florida has set that Missouri, when they came in had set. Um, that Kentucky set with a national championship and others. We've watched a Mississippi state program in women's volleyball actually uh, establish and, and sustain success. How do we do that across the board? When we add Oklahoma, two of the sports where I've asked the question are softball and gymnastics. We, we had some pretty good runs going there. And then uh, what, what Joe's created for uh, women in softball and in gymnastics, we, we keep finishing second or third. So we, we actually have the conversations to ask, how do we maintain, how do we access the edge? You know, soccer, we've been close of late. Um, again, our expansion will, will build that competitiveness. Uh, how do we think about scheduling through the year? How do we think about a tournament that prepares us for the national championship platform? Those are the types of conversations that we have from the conference office routinely 
to think about the process for preparing teams to compete um, in the national championship uh, or through the tournament and then for the actual national championship. Well, since we can't tell whether it's going to be eight or nine games in football, can you at least assure us that Texas and A&M will play every year as well as Texas and Oklahoma? Well, that'll depend on the number of games. Um, and, and as you think about the ability to rotate teams through um, campuses over a four-year time frame, um, we're using what is a, essentially a 1-7 model for the 24 season. We haven't established permanent rivals, but you can't match up everyone if you're at eight games. And that's my reference to some of those key other key rivalries that have to be part of our thinking. So this could be a one-off. Hold on, Kirk. Could you explain what a 1-7 model is? Well, it's a one permanent opponent with seven teams that rotate. And so the issue is not, will you play teams? It is how frequently will you play teams? And a 1-7 model, um, if there are eight conference games, has one annual opponent and then seven that rotate. So those seven would be every other year games. Ah, Okay. So Texas A&M could be every other year. Well, we've got that decision ahead of us. Yeah, you have to actually give us a lot of credit because we started off, you know, we started off with a bang here in 2024, which sets the stage for the opportunity to either reestablish those rivalries on an annual basis or continue others. Because remember, we've got 14 current members that have baked in um, rivalry games of importance. And so that's, again, that's part of the decision-making process that will play out. And you mentioned the CFP, which will go to 12, not this year, but next year. Uh, realistically, I mean, we start out with six automatic qualifiers and then six at-larges, right? Uh, and don't you favor having no automatic qualifiers and just go to the 12 best teams, Greg? Oh, I do. I've, I've been clear about a couple of things. I don't think people always believe me when I say something. One is uh, we didn't need to expand. We could have stayed at four. And even post-expansion, with the caliber of football programs we're adding, we weren't going to have, we were not going to have fewer teams from the SEC in the college football playoff. Um, 12 with the six and six mix is essentially a compromise. Uh, as we think about the history of postseason uh, for college football, the reasons there was first a, a bowl alliance and then a BCS and then a college football playoff is there were always a set of compromises. And the ability to to bring teams in through conference championships is one of those uh, gives. The ability to increase the entire field is another one of those uh, opportunities, if you will. So, yeah, if, if, if there was the ability to sit in a room among the conferences and have larger field with, with no guaranteed position for conference champions, um, I, I would welcome that. Uh, that right now is not the atmosphere around college football. And, and I think that it can work in a, in a really healthy way. It, there will be some level of, if you will, heartburn from time to time. But I think the 12-team approach with the, the six conference champions and the six best remaining at-large teams was a reasonable compromise to make sure that our national championship involves teams from across the nation. And, and one of the things said that they talked about in death and all of the coaches – want to know, okay, deciding eight or nine games, will will that hurt us? Could that hurt us when it comes to the 12-team playoff? Could we get a nine and three team in the 12-team playoff? Uh, that, that was addressed over and over, Greg. Do you think nine and three would realistically get a team in the 
12 team playoff? Oh, I, I do think it can. And, and we've looked at opportunities between the eight and nine model. You're doing analytics. So you're doing analysis, but also predictive analytics, mm-hmm. since there's not the ability to look back and say, here's everything that happened. So, so remember a few things. One, there are conferences that will be playing nine games in, in 24. Um, And so the ability to access through a nine game schedule is going to need to be there. Um, And then it's the level of rigor. And uh, I would simply represent in any given year. In fact, this year, I don't assume for a moment we'll have one of the top four teams. Um, There's a rigor in our schedule that um, is unique among our colleague conferences. And that will be labeled SEC bias. And I understand that. But I think we've earned that distinction over time. We've earned it because we have achieved national championships. But when I started in 2015 as commissioner, for about a year, I would get maybe you guys made the observation that we were a one-team league with Alabama's dominance. But that negates that over the last 25 years, um, we've had Tennessee, we've had LSU, uh, we've had Florida, we've had Auburn, we've had Alabama, we've had Georgia, and we've had some of those multiple times. We had half of our league access the national championship game and win national championships. No one's even close to that. Um, and I'm, I'm really hopeful I didn't leave anybody out. Um, and, we, and then we've had teams that have played in the New Year's Six. So they've been in that top 10 ranking beyond that. So we have a level of depth from a competition standpoint. That's rigorous. Whether it's an eight-game schedule, a nine-game schedule, a 14 playoff or a 12-team playoff, that's where we play the games. Mm-hmm. Is That's the excitement to see what may happen. Um, now, uh, do I have a level of confidence? We'd have multiple teams in on a consistent basis in a 12-team playoff. I do. But confidence also builds complacency, and I don't think any of us are interested in complacency. Yeah, you wouldn't be accused of being guilty of that, I don't think. Hey, uh, you got time to play a little rapid-fire hot seat with us? Great. Okay. Although yeah. I reserve the although I reserve the right to to give you a long drawn out answer that bores well, you. Well, here's the thing: the hot seat is you got to be hit. You got to hit it and quit it, Greg Sankey. You can okay. you can't expound. It's just a quick answer. I know Kirk well enough that he may embed the answer in a question that I have to reshape, <laughs> though. So I do want you do know want to you do, do know want it. to know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll start out with. Uh, if you weren't a commissioner of a, a major conference now and, and didn't go into this field, what do you think Greg Sankey would be doing right now if he had to do something else? Yeah, I, I'd go back. I'd go back to like the mid late eighties. I wanted to be a teacher and a coach and work directly with young people. And uh, I would be in some kind of educational work, most likely in a teaching capacity at some level. What subject would you teach? You know, uh, I don't, you know, it, it, if I go back, um, I was going to be a physical education teacher, uh, I, rethinking it. I would love to have teach taught history. Um, it, at this point, if, if I have the opportunity ahead to, to contribute on a college campus and teaching about, uh, leadership or kind of a big picture view of college sports, including its history and decision-making, um, that, that would really be of interest to me. That's pretty cool. Okay, it's movie night at the Sankeys, and you're you're inviting uh, two of your favorite couples over, and you're going to watch two movies. <laughs> what do you show on movie night? Those two movies. You stumped him. 
No, I just like there's there's so many good movies. I haven't been to a movie theater in like five years. It's not the life oh, I live anymore. Goodness. But yeah, so uh, doesn't have to be uh, recent. Doesn't have to be a recent. No, I, I think one of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire. So I'm gonna I'm gonna oh. reach the extremes. Chariots of Fire and the story of Eric Liddell. I think's just a, a marvelous marvelous story. Not just the movie, but uh, Eric's entire life story, the way he he lived and and led. And then uh, I'm a big fan of Back to the Future, the whole Marty McFly, Dr. Brown, 1.21 gigawatts, gigawatts. gigawatts, what was I thinking? Flux capacitor. And everybody. That movie movie still makes me laugh. My wife has never seen that movie. I can't believe we're still married. Really? We can invite you over for that movie night. Okay. What's, uh, what's, what's a hidden talent that Greg Sankey has that, uh, most people don't know about uh, the the life I live now. I'm not sure how much is hidden. Um, <laughs> Are you a juggler? Don't say you're a juggler. Uh, a long time ago, when I was in that teaching mode, I, I learned how to juggle. Um, you know, it literally, as you're recording this right before we went on. Uh, our oldest daughter is pregnant and I think is actually having our first grandchild this evening. So that's not a hidden talent, but a hidden reality. Congratulations on that. that is if, so awesome. if it's not a talent, there's something about you that most people don't know. I mean, I know you're a marathoner. I don't know. If, if I actually, you know. yeah, from from the public persona, I'm a lot more entertaining than I appear to be. <laughs> here's, here's my last one, and I'm not trying to get you in trouble. Greg Sankey's Celebrity crush. Oh wow! Yeah, I I've never even thought along those those lines because <laughs> all that does such a good you, answer for me. You, you, all you do, excellent. Yeah, it's like people ask me, "What's your favorite favorite football state?" I'm like, you know what? I have 14. <laughs> there are certain <laughs> questions one should never answer, and, uh, and even beyond that, you shouldn't even think about. Who's your you favorite? Can, you okay, all right, all right, wait. Well, who's your favorite actress? Well, you go back to um, back to the future and the the disconnect between Marty's original girlfriend and back to the future. And then what played out uh, after, you know, there was a a recasting. So Elizabeth Shue was the first one. She was. No, it's no, it's somebody different um, who who stepped out of acting. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. That's true. Then Liz Shue. From Karate Kid, who we all we're same age, so we all we all watch Karate Kid, so we all like Liz shoes. So yeah, wax on, wax off. Oh man, something. Okay, last last thing, you're on a deserted island. What do you take with you? One thing you can take with you can't be a family member. A a boat. Oh, hopefully, no, I would, professor uh, could do uh, anything but fix that boat on Gilligan's yeah, Island. A, a, a boat with a, an embedded GPS and propulsion system. So you'd <laughs> like make. No, I think the tradition of that question would be I'd bring a library of books to enjoy reading. But you had a favorite book? Uh, favorite book? Uh, yeah. I have several of them. You know, the book They Call Me Coach, which was John Wooden's biography mm-hmm. when I was young. And you asked me about what would I be doing. Uh, that had a level of influence. Um, there's a guy, John Ortberg, wrote a book, The Life You've Always Wanted, that in the 
mid late nineties had a big, big influence over me. Uh, there's a book by a guy named Andrew Hill who played basketball for John Wooden called be quick, but don't hurry. And it's kind of the, it starts with, he, he, he lost touch with his coach because he didn't have that experience at UCLA that he would have expected. And there was a lot that had been built up. And then he realized he was running CBS production um, that every day he used something in his work that he learned playing basketball at UCLA. And that opened up the door for him to, to call coach Wooden. And it's a story of what he learned and how that relationship was reignited, which I think I, I transfer to one of my concerns today with namers and likeness and transfers and, you know, the changes around patterns of high school recruitment. Um, I don't want us to lose the next Andy Hill story, even at a high level. Mm-hmm. There are any numbers of those where young people have learned a great deal during their college career from participating in college athletics. We appreciate you being on. Uh, I'm don't make it another two years till you come on. Okay, <laughs> we have more hot. You know, I, I I just test how how much you want the opportunity. I mean, if it was easy, <laughs> anybody could do it. But there you go. you've established your recruiting intensity, Kirk. So I was happy to be a part. I appreciate. Of it. It. We'll see you in Nashville in a, in a week or so. Okay, okay. drive right. safely. Thank you, Thanks, Greg. Greg. Bye bye. On second thought. Duck, uh, wonderful podcast this week. Uh, one more day of Big 12 Media Days coming up. And and uh, after that, um, we're shutting it down for the rest of July. Great conversation with Greg Sankey. Uh, didn't want to give up the good stuff, but he gave up some pretty good stuff. You, tried, right. Duck, you tried to get him to, to commit commit to that, to ensuring that Texas OU, Texas A&M yearly, that was never going to happen. No, but they, they got to go to nine games though. Cause to me, it, it's just, if you're the biggest, baddest conference on the planet, you need to be playing nine games, not, not four cupcakes every year as a lot of them have been. Yeah. And I, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that once Joe C and uh, CDC get a, a real seat at the table where they're voting on stuff, Duck, that they'll see the value in that as well. Um, it's going to be fun. Uh, this this season itself is going to be fun. I know we talked a lot of SEC on today's show, but we but the good thing I like is we had a little bit of the present day and we had a little bit of the look ahead with Sankey. It's all football. And it's all fun, and uh, we're just so happy to you have you guys join us uh, for our podcast. We're uh, after all these years, we're still having fun with it, Duck. Yes, it is. So everybody, stay safe uh, the rest of the summer vacation, and uh, peace, peace, and goodwill. Good, good listening uh, today. Episode three hundred three is in the books. Thanks to Greg Sankey. And thanks to our producer, Chandler Hoffley. For the Duck Kirk Bowls, I'm Cedric Golden, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Ced and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.